I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm one of your lore focus hosts, Joe Perez, and joining me, as always, is the stupendous Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm afraid my comic is going to get canceled around issue six. That would be a shame. We should actually make a comic of ourselves. If you're listening at home and you're into comics, why don't you go ahead and make a comic of me and Rossi? I'd be very entertained by this. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to be answering some of your questions out there today. We have a, uh, a lovely smattering of them. Uh, if you want to ask us any questions, be sure to send them in. We have an email, which is podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, be sure to specify the show that it's for when you send it in. Uh, if you don't want to send us an email, you can go ahead and hit us up on Discord. We have two channels set aside, one for our Patreon subscribers as a way of saying thank you uh, for helping us keep the lights on and our animals fed. Uh, because I don't know about you, but my cats, if I did not feed them, I probably would not be alive right now. <laughs> uh, we tend to look there first for questions, and as a matter of fact, several of these come from there. Uh, but if you can't support us on Patreon, we understand. Uh, we do have a Q and podcast questions channel where you can go ahead and put your questions as well. Uh, again, just specify what show it's for. We're going to go ahead and get started with our first question here. And this one is from Vertigree. Do the Titan Forge to have stone or iron, etc. brains inside stone skulls, bones inside their stone heads, etc. Are their consciousnesses consciousness diffused throughout their bodies like onto a jellyfish perhaps titan forged are like coral where there's a colony of microorganisms who grow in the material unrelatedly this is how gemstone people worked in the anime manga land uh, uh, land of the lustrous i don't know if we actually have been explicitly told how that works matt do, do you we have not been explicitly told how that works what do you think it's magic i don't have to explain it Okay, well, let's try anyway. <laughs> no, I refuse. There is no explanation for this. There's nothing that can be done. We live in a wasteland of impossibility, and you want me to take and break down the ineffable and reduce it down to a mechanicalized, mechanized thing. I will not do it. You know why? Because that's the curse of flesh talking. That's what the curse of flesh does, Joe. 
It turns wondrous cosmic things into mere dross. The fleshly forms that rot and decay with time and become dead. I see you, Joe. <laughs> uh, and, and in all sincerity, I have no idea. It certainly looked like that one guy in the cinematic for Dragonflight who the, the big stone dude wakes up and sees his friend smashed up with his face half gone. He just looks like he's rock inside. So, you know, I honestly I see what think, you did there. Rocked inside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as like others media, like you mentioned a, an anime, but I mean, Chris the rock warriors, they were all just magical crystal people. They didn't have microorganism colonies and, and Chris came out first. So I'm going with Chris Yeah. And we can, we can guess, or at least make a little bit of an assumption that some form of anima is involved, at least at some point. Um, and maybe that is why the whole curse of flesh works in the first place. But Matt's right in that it is a magical process, at least insofar as we know. If you think about but it's it, it's magic in that same way that other stuff the Titans do is magic, even though it has gigantic machines and looks very much like somebody's science you know, experiment. Jack Kirby science care. Yeah. yeah. So, but think of, think of it this way, right? Like it is, it is not un, unlike the idea of a divine being reaching down and taking raw material, sculpting it into a form and breathing life into it. The, actual mechanics of it is a little bit weird but we do have some things that we can look at as far as past experiences with things like earthen and some of the other titan forged when they're smashed there is nothing inside but the material that they're made out of the fact that they can locomote the fact that they can emote the fact that they can communicate or move or any of that is odd in that regard it's not something we can understand and that's why this whole magic thing comes in look at uh i love to call him bridge boss and i've been calling him bridge boss for forever uh Kologarn. Kologarn in alduar when you kill him his body breaks asunder his head's there his body's there you literally traipse across his torso to get to the next section of alduar and it's all rock and it's all rock uh when you are in the halls of lightning in the halls of stone the creatures that you defeat in there are made out of the same material and many of them go into disheveled heaps of the base material that they're made out of so it's not like there's anything inside besides that material it is the magic that makes it so effective or interesting is what the animating force is. It's let me, let me break into something here. Uh, I don't know if you know much about shamans or shamanism, Joe. I do. But, uh, elementals, Surprising, no one. elementals in, in world of Warcraft exist because they draw upon the, the, the spirit energy. What we now believe is to be anima of a world. Uh, we've seen that on Draenor. There was so much of that energy that the elementals didn't even need to struggle to get it. They just got it. And so they were at relative peace. But when they're on a planet with a, with a Titan soul inside of it, or whatever Azeroth turns out to actually be, and it's draining all the, uh, the spirit energy into itself, they begin to conflict with each other and fight, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's a fair point. I think now, it's a fair point. Think about this. The Titan Forged are creations of the Titans, right? But the Titans so. are just The Titans are the beings that are made by absorbing all that spirit energy slash anima until they come to a certain stage and they embody an entire world with life. And we've they're basically we've, planet elementals. Yeah. And we've talked about this before too. We still don't know what happens to a planet after a Titan emerges, right? Yeah. We don't know if they emerge at all. 
We don't know if they just become the, the planet forms and wakes up and unrolls itself like the rock yeah. lords of ye olden days of, of animated cartoon series. I mean, I was going to actually say like, uh, like Cybertron and Unicron. Yep. But yeah, basically the same thing. They just, you know, you know, for people on it, it might not even be noticeable. On the other hand, maybe it's pretty noticeable when, you know, where you're living becomes an arm. I, I don't know. Uh, but my point being, there's a lot of similarity between the elementals and the Titan forged. They're both beings of like earth and stone and, and metal. And they're beings that are animated by an, a spiritual essence that goes inside them and inhabits them. It's just the scale of it. And, and there's some precedent for it too, right? Like when the, when the Titans died, like quote unquote died, uh, it was essentially their spirit or their animating force being ripped from their physical shell, at least as far as we could tell. They didn't actually die, right? Yeah, as far as we know. Well, we we know that they didn't. We know for a fact they didn't because... No, I mean, the, the process is as you're describing it, so far as we know. Yeah. If you, I don't... They could come out with something tomorrow if they say you're wrong, but up until this point, there's nothing currently in canon that says you are incorrect. Yeah. Uh, it is... But if you take a look at it, like when they died, they thrust aspects of their essences into their followers and they were able to do so. Uh, and then the ones that weren't or were captured or, or uh, taken over later were all being brought back to Antorus to be tortured, but their soul, their souls or animated force was technically still intact. It just didn't have a physical form. And it wasn't until we released them that they were able to cobble together some form of physical form. But at the end of the day, there's still a circle of lights inside of a, somewhat materialistic body that we still don't understand how they make it. The we don't even know we don't even know if they actually did make a body because sure. the place that they re-embody themselves, quote unquote, is the seat of the Pantheon. And that might not have ever been a place that they went to physically because it's not that big. It's That's big, fair. but it's not big enough for a Titan to fit in it. So it's possible they were always just sending their spirits into it and interacting with each other that way. And thus now that's where they are because that's the best place for them to be. I no idea. There's a lot we don't know about this, but yeah, I, I do think that there's, there's a certain similarity to the concept of various kinds of beings. Like demons aren't that different from elementals. Some of them. And they're not even that all that different from what we're describing here because yeah, but like, look at uh, what do they call them? The, the big Rocky ones that fall from the sky and, you know, blow everything up and scream a lot. And <laughs> you know, the ones infernals. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. <clears throat> infernals are pretty much like elementals. To the point where people they're have elementals. actually, yeah, there are, there are elementals with forms that look very demonic for that matter. Yep. We've, and we've had, we've had, uh, in Antorus, we've seen that demons have elemental affinity as well. It's just a thing that is present, right? But all that to circle back and say everything that was created, all the watchers and all the Titan forged and all of those entities that were created by the Titans sort of follow that same sort of schema, right? They're animated by a force in given life. And we know that they can emote. We know that they can interact. Um, we've seen watchers uh, like the different ver maidens of virtue, vitality, uh, mother uh, in, in recent times that are able to interact, that are able to have feelings and emotions and, and are living entities. But when they're defeated or destroyed, they no, they cease to be, but their physical form is still just that of whatever material they're made out of. So it it would be interesting if there was something more to it, but it's almost like an anima jellyfish. 
like to go with you, what you said here, uh, with the, the whole, uh, you know, consciousness diffused throughout the entirety of their body. It's not, not wrong actually, because we've seen bits and pieces remain animated after other bits have been torn off. We've seen ones that are missing hands or arms or maybe legs or, you know, portions of their bodies and still are able to function, uh, because, that's not where vital organs are like it is on us. Um, so we've seen maidens or sorry, maidens watchers. I guess it would be a maiden uh, like stuck to a wall. Uh, and yet she was still somewhat functional. There was still something that, uh, you know, wrong as a result of the trauma that was inflicted and it still felt, but it wasn't dead. So it's, it's interesting. I think anima changes the discussion a lot, especially after this last expansion. If nothing else, whether you you liked or disliked this expansion, anima and the discussion around it and what it is or what it can be and what it can or cannot do shifts a lot of things that we've been talking about and dealing with forever. Like why are the Mogu trying to replicate anima? Why are why were they? Why were they using it to morph and in evolve things, right? They were also trying to turn themselves back into rock. And they were doing that through the use of what? They, were they doing it through the use of anima or was the anima the byproduct of it? I think they were using it as a result of it because that was one of the things they were experimenting with. They had whole chambers devoted to it. Yeah, but. Or what they called the anima. Cha- the, the thing that they were calling anima goes like we see the blood golems, right? Mm-hmm. Like the blood golems are made through the fluid going through them, but that's not how the mogu when they're turned to stone and are. There's like. I keep thinking about it's possible that the reason that they were turning themselves back to stone, it was to get anima because look at what happens. The, the, the flow of anima to the Shadowlands comes from us, not from like some Titan somewhere. In fact, the Titans don't even seem to be able to go there. And when the one time one does go there, he immediately almost blows the place up. Mm-hmm. Like the, there's something about this, about the concept of anima, about what it is and what it does. That makes me wonder if, like the elementals are fighting over the quote unquote spirit energy of Azeroth. Why? What are they trying to do with it? What do they want it for? Just to make themselves stronger or to make themselves more real? Because we know elemental forms can transform into living forms without the curse of flesh being involved at all. Dragons did that. Mm-hmm. Dragons went from elemental forms to living forms that still have elemental resonances and elemental properties, but they're alive now. They're living things. They're not just animate rock. Is it the act of becoming a living thing, of slowly changing from inanimate to fully animate, that creates this anima surge that makes things die in the first place to return the anima back to the universe? I don't know, but but it's well worth thinking about. Yeah, there's it's a lot that we are probably not going to know the answer to solidly for probably years to come. Right. Um, but the discussion has been started. The, the discussion re- revolving around what it is to truly be alive uh, and, and all sorts of other existential crises have been started in the last two expansions in particular. Uh, and Dragonflight's not going to stop that. If anything, it's going to accelerate it because we're going to learn more. We talked about this last week and we talked about this, I think the week before too, there's a lot on the docket to learn about the origin of the dragons, uh, what, why the elemental dragons were such a problem. Uh, we're going to learn where they came from, where proto drakes formed uh, in the first place, which we have some ideas, but, uh, and I love always going back and I, and I use Matt's explanation of this to actually talk to somebody about this 
uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, while I was sitting at a wedding and we were talking about Warcraft lore, because that's the thing that happens. Um, <laughs> it's the idea that dragons and in truth, it seems like almost everything that's on Azeroth is an elemental sponge. Like we have the, this vast capability as living creatures on this, on this Titan rock to just absorb and be molded by elements to some degree or another. Uh, dragons seem to be doing it a lot more than others, but it's still present. It's a, it's a very fascinating thing, but I think we're going to move on to the next one here. Uh, unless there's anything else you want to add. I mean, I think I talked enough. Okay. Uh, we're going to move on to this one from Tetsemi. Then what story or lore event would you love to experience again? As if it were your first time experience it. And what one thing would you allow yourself to know about the event so you could enjoy it even more? This is a complicated question because there has been a lot of really good moments inside of Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft in particular. And you know what? I'll expand it even to Warcraft in general uh, that have just been like phenomenal moments that were fascinating and some of them just gut ripping and very immersive experiences. But the one that I think really stands out that I would... I would like to experience for the first time again is the sacking of Strathholm. Not because I particularly enjoy what happens through it, but it's such an interesting and like character development. It is such a a dark and and like it's such a dark moment that is twisted up with also hope in you can see the transformation of characters as you move through this moment where several of them start falling out, they start having their divergent paths. And you can see the resolution in in Arthas as he moves forward, knowing that you're feeling that he has to do this thing in order to save the rest of his people. Uh, You get to feel the complicated nature of the character. And if you know it's coming, that sort of in-the-moment realization of what's occurring, I don't want to say it's lessened, but it doesn't have quite the same impact as if you have no idea what's about to happen and you go into it and you see it for the first time. Like... It is. I could. I could not imagine going through and doing that in the caverns of time if I had never played Warcraft three. Right? Like it would have been such a more powerful experience. So, like when you're saying, what would you allow my ourselves to know? I would actually take away that that moment from Warcraft three, so I could experience it in the perspective of World of Warcraft as if it was brand new. But it's one of those moments that was just. It always stuck with me. Those story elements that entire scenario just really stuck with me. And I would love to experience it again for the very first time. What about you, Matt? Gobliteration. Would you like to expand on that? Yes. Any quest, especially gobliteration, where you just ride around inside of some kind of vehicle or thing and just blow up people, hundreds of people. Like, for instance, gobliteration, where you get inside of a giant uh, stone elemental construct created by some iron dwarves. Uh, Technically, it's stabilized magma, sir. Okay. At any rate... (laughs) set like three, 400 goblins on fire. Not sure the story element of that one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's right there. That, 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 what story do you need? I have gotten together a whole bunch of red hot rock and now I'm going to burn you to death. There you go. That's it. Keep in mind that I, I went into battle for Azeroth as a person playing a character who had just seen her people get slaughtered and her, the place where her parents were living blown the F up. I was totally down with setting any horde members on fire. If, if it, if it had been a horde orphanage, I probably would have set it on fire at that point. Cause I'm pretty sure there was an orphanage in Darna- Darnassus and guess what happened to it? It got set on fire. Um, I'm personally glad that that's that whole 
kind of thing is is going away from the game for a while. I I need a break from it. But I mean, at the time, yeah, I I was totally down for burning some goblins to death. <laughs> I enjoyed the heck out of it, and I do it again. Uh, I would not particularly need to to. I would love to go into it fresh because it was the the shock of the surprise of it when I went into it. Because there's that quest in Oldham where you're going after pygmies, but that one I didn't enjoy as much because the pygmies hadn't done anything to me. Like, you know what I mean? That one felt weird. I didn't like that one as much. And I don't remember the name of it either, for that matter. Uh, do you remember the name of that one? Is that in, like, Nomageddon or something? Uh, Nomageddon. Yeah, I, that one I don't like as much. Uh, but Gobbleteration, yeah, I was I, ooh, yeah, I was there. Don't need to know anything further about it to enjoy it. Just, just blow them up. Boom, boom. Or the Scarlet Crusade one. And you're doing... Uh, the Death Knight starting area in Wrath of the Lich King, and you have like you get carted onto a boat so you can take over the cannon on the boat and use it to blow up a whole bunch of Scarlet Crusaders. Never gets old. So yeah, I, I we're basically finding out I love quests where I get to blow up a whole lot of people. <laughs> I mean, are there any? Uh, and let's let's morph it a little bit because there's been a lot of like. Uh, hold on, hold on. All right, hold on. Okay. Tyrannosaurus. Okay, I'm I'm ready now. <laughs> There's been a lot look, of. Look, I, I know you're looking for story stuff from me here. You want me to tell you like uh, a quest or something that that has an emotional resonance that I would like to repeat. The problem is that is that in a way there are too many of them, and in another way, yeah. I I don't want to forget anything I've done. Like those story elements that I've experienced, they've been taken into me. They've affected how I view storytelling. I don't want them removed, even if it meant I would experience them again, because I'm a different person now. And I don't think I might enjoy them all the same way I did when I did. Yeah, and I think that's part of the that's part of it, right? Like that you, it's that like that old saying, you can never go home. Yeah, you can go home, but it's like in in Gross Point Blank, you go home and yes. it's a it's a you know it's a Seven Eleven now, and there's a microwave where your room used to be. You you can if you try and take away an experience from a person, you remove part of them because that that little piece of story that they they absorbed when they absorbed it affected their worldview going forward into the future and even if the the worldview they have now is totally different than the one they had then that's because you built to it through a lifetime of cho- of choices and decisions and experiences so i don't want to like pluck out any threads that way <sighs> but also i mean i mean one of my favorite quests of all time is one of the saddest quests of all time. Um, it's it's going back to to Darkshore after to the Cataclysm, and and you know the place is just wrecked up, and you have to you have to go try and find this guy, and he's dead, and you find his bear, and you have to lead his bear back to Darkshore, and the bear makes friends with another guy. I mean, and before it was turned into an incredibly short story, a sad short story by by someone who's no longer with us. You know, raids that thing was that was a masterpiece. Good job. Um, it was still a quest I did and it was heartbreaking, but it's one of my favorite because it was heartbreaking because it made me care. You know, sometimes it's not about how much fun stuff is like, there's a lot of fun I've had playing world of Warcraft, but most of the fun isn't the stuff I remember. Like the room of upside down sinners. You, you snuck into, you snuck into Kara basement, right? Oh yeah. No, I want, I want to go into a uh, uh, bad boy jail for that one. And when you did and you saw that room for the first time, it was creepy AF. And yes. you remembered it. Or even like, think about the first time you ran uh, Black Rock Depths. And it just, it took so long. It was like, but every little piece of it had story. Like there's the po- portrait of the previous uh, uh, Thorasan, And there's like, 
people talking about this and there's like, you know, the, the weird presence of the uh, Twilight's hammer inside the jail itself and the whole bit with the Anixia chest quest chain, chest queen. Um, th- there's just tons and tons of story so, in some of these dungeons. And I don't, I don't see what, I don't know that I would take them the same way now. Well, let's, that's why I'm saying let's, let's turn this around a little bit. Let's evolve this. What about a story element that we haven't gotten to experience in game, but we know exists something that we would maybe wishful thinking like to experience moving forward. Is there one like that? Cause I can think of one for me that I think would be absolutely in like, it would be insanely interesting to be able to experience. Now, I don't think it'll ever happen, but I was just thinking, going back to what we were talking about, the original battle between Sargeras and the Pantheon, we've heard about it. We've we've seen, or, or at least the aftermath of it, and we've seen the lead up to it, but there's this element of it where it has to happen, right? Because it's part of the one true, true timeline. I would love to experience what that looked like, what a battle between Titans actually looks like. Because even the battle on Azeroth's surface with the against the Black Empire, the Titans really didn't do anything. They put creatures and armies on the planet to do it for them because they couldn't actually touch the planet. What would a battle between cosmic entities like that look like? What must it have been? And the idea of knowing what has to play out and having to make it happen having to make it like tie into the true true timeline would be fascinating to me because you know what's going to happen but you have to make it happen anyway right it's the 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 murazond uh effect which is what i'm going to start calling it from now on where he he knows that he's dormammu knows he or well god uh, we know Dormu. Nors Domu. I'm uh, Dormammu. I came to bargain. Uh, <laughs> Nors Domu. Nors Dormu. Will- I've come to bargain. That's not going to work on me. I do that too. Yeah. The time loop thing. I'm already in one. Oh, okay. Sorry. But, but like he knows, he knows the point of his death. He knows that he has to do this, right? He he has to because the Infinite Dragonflight has kept moments occurring. Does he still know that? I think he does. I don't know, man. Did you see the second? Uh, I have a theory about Dragonflight? that, which we can talk yeah. about later. <laughs> um, but I just, I would love to see a, an inevitable moment like that where we have to experience it, but we haven't, or we get to experience it, but we haven't seen it yet. Is there something in Warcraft lore that has happened that you haven't seen in game, but you would love to see represented in a game and whether it's an event or a dungeon, a raid or a scenario or something? No. Okay. It's a joke, Joe. Give me a second. <laughs> Quite frankly, you deserved it. Uh, anyway, I guess I get some water in my glass here because somebody wants me to talk a lot and that makes my throat all dry. All right, hey, everybody. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm actually kind of burned out on huge cosmic things. So whilst your idea is a fine one, it is not the way I'm thinking right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I would love to do is go on a tour of the height of every previous big civilization before the, 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 the sundering. Like you're talking like the troll empire when it was at its peak, the, the night elf one, the troll one, like what the Pandaren did before the, the Mogu, uh, what the, uh, what are the names of bug people? <clears throat> the Mantid, the Mantid in Pan- the Nerubians, uh, just, just all of it. Um, and, and not go there just as some disaster is happening or they're losing some war, but literally go to them at their peak when they are, they're, 
prosperous and as happy as they ever were, the the moments that they were like this is this is a good representation of what they were like before stuff started falling down the hill. It's like saying I want to go back to like Rome. You don't want to go back to Rome as the you know the Visigoths are burning it. You want to go back to Rome at its height. You want to see it. That's what I want to see. I want to see all these different societies when they were young, essentially when they were like at their best, when they were like either achieving their greatest glories or just having had achieved them are now like, yeah, look at our greatest glories. Don't pay attention to that stuff that's coming up later. This is the, this is the thing you want to see just to get a sense. Like, cause one of the societies you could do would be the seven kingdoms. I mean, the seven kingdoms were never peaceful, but they were at a point where they were there were like seven different human nations and they were all doing well. Mm, yeah, that's true. And that lasted for a couple hundred years. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see the humans like, you know, like after the troll war, I don't, this, so this, this is not going back to the troll war, but like go to see them establish their kingdoms and what those kingdoms were like and just stuff like that. I'd love for there to be a quest chain that like was kind of like a tour of the successes, you know, because all these things came after, like the, the the various societies on Azeroth's surface all rose up after the Black Empire. <clears throat> they were essentially a reaction to that. So it's it, in a way, it's kind of a cyclical examination of rebuilding, of of creating something new out of something old, and the the clashes between these civilizations. Like if you start off with like the the various Karaji societies that broke off from each other and became their own thing, if you start with them. And then you move to, okay, now the trolls are at their height. You're now in the society that ended the Karaji society. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. suddenly you go to like, here's, here's the Mogu and their, their expanding empire. Now here's the Pandaren. Where'd the Mogu go? Oh yeah. They, they totally got their butts kicked by those, the Panda people. Um, and you get to see the cyclical nature of these empires and of the, the nature of like a peaceful society on Azeroth. It never really lasts. Yeah, and I mean the idea of a peaceful peaceful thing in Warcraft is is always fascinating. We talk about it a lot. We don't really ever get to experience peaceful anything in Azeroth. When's the last time we've had a period of peace? I mean, technically the period between the second and third war would have been the most recent one. And that was like what, ten years? Ten years. Yeah, and it was basically ten years of holding an entire race as POWs because you didn't know what else to do with them and you were unable to bring yourself to just massacre them. Which is weird. You'd think that, you know, I, I'm sure that if they left it to Gangrami, the massacring would have happened. Um, but, you know, the, the, the people who actually suffered the most from fighting the orcs didn't want to kill them. Yeah. Um, which is always a strange thing. And I really wish that people would deal with it more. Uh, for all that, you know, the internment camps were obviously not a good time for the orcs. It's also fairly clear that the orcs were in the internment camps because the orcs didn't feel like leaving them. Because as soon as somebody came along with the idea of let's go, they went. It's not like they were stopped. Like they tried to stop them. They clearly didn't succeed. Uh, so there's just a lot to this. A lot of stuff I'd like to see. Just not the stuff that's the, this great war happened. Yeah, I know the great wars happened. Show me what it was like to be a farmer in the Night Elf Empire. What did the average troll do when everything was run by the Zandalar? Um, <clears throat> what the heck? When the Karaji were the only ones there, the, sorry, the Akir. When the Akir were the only ones that there were no Karaji, there were no Nerubians yet, there were no Mantid yet. What were the Akir like? Did they just spend all their time fighting people or did they have a society? What was it? Was it just old gods are great or was it, you know, you know, what was it like for one of them to live? Did they have lives? Like that's kind of stuff I'd like to see. 
So, so I would go with that. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our next one here then. Uh, and this one comes from Razorberg or Razorbug. Uh, again, this is one of those ones that I started mispronouncing and we just kind of rolled with it. Thank you, Razorberg. I thought it was you going with Zoidberg. Uh, the question no. from your old friend Zoidberg. I mean, Razorberg. I mean, Razorbug. <laughs> Razor's been a really good sport about it. And I appreciate them. Uh, do you think we might one day see a psionic class in WoW? I don't mean Warlock or Shadow Priest, which both have their base uh, in void slash fell magic, but an evolution on order, maybe, or even something totally new. A caster based totally off of personal power and training, but rejecting Titan Arcana and developing pure human troll or etc. advancement. They could be an ultimate CC caster build. Uh, feels like something number before. Uh, I know there are plenty of others that can fill this role, but the idea of races that can use this power without the light void or Titans strike me as an interesting one lore wise and would tip the power balance dramatically races tapping into their own internal potential rather than being dependent on the external forces other than monk who are focused on physical discipline. It, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be up with front with you here, dude. Monk also have two specs that are not about physical discipline. Yes. They've got one spec that's about getting hammered and they've got one spec that's about tapping into chi. What is chi? It's internal power. Mm -hmm. What is internal power? Internal power is essentially life force. It's the, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. It's the animating force. Do you see where I'm going here? <laughs> so I don't think we're going to have quote unquote psionics because, <clears throat> because I think that the monk is doing that kind of thing just with slightly different labels on it. And I get what you're saying. Cause you're basically talking about like in D and D they've actually repeatedly had quote unquote psionics and anybody who's like read science fiction knows basically what we're talking about. And of course there's the, the, you know, Duryini series, which has psionic people in a fantasy milieu, all of that stuff exists. And I get where you're going with it. I don't think it really, I don't think they're going to just do that in D in, in, in world of Warcraft. I don't think they're just going to say the psionic. It's just, it's too, it's too generic. Like if they were going to do it, they would tap it into something else that's lore related to World of Warcraft at this point, because so much lore is already out there. Like one possibility would be the Runecaster. Yeah. And they'd argue that the Runecaster is drawing upon their own internal power when they draw the runes, that the runes are powered by them. Uh, and magic and chi and anima and all of it is basically the same force. It's basically that just the thing that ties life together and makes life exist. Uh, to quote Doom Death Grip. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think they're going to like, just have guys show up and like, you know, put their fingers on their head and circles come out to do things. But I think that they could make a class that works on these basic principles. Yeah. See Warcraft. The reason I, 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 and I really like this question is because Warcraft is one of the only settings that I can think of where a base generic level of psionics or like what psionics are usually used for or, or to represent it almost doesn't fit because of how the universe is set up, right? It's one of those things where everything, like Matt's pointing out, like even the internal spec uh, of the or the aspect of monks looking upon themselves and looking inward for you know physical perfection, are still bolstering themselves by drawing on the energy of self, which we now know as anima, which is a magical force uh, in and of itself, and it is sort of a base construct of the universe. So in the Warcraft universe all you'd be doing at that point is drawing on anima. We've already seen uh, aspects of sort of that. 
I don't want to say telepathic or, or telekinetic stuff, but we have to a certain degree. Jaina flew a boat. It wasn't an airship. It was a boat. She flew it to the Undercity. And then she made magical pink cannons that just shot laser beams down on people. Yes. But the idea... Uh, which is all psychokinesis, dude. Every single thing she did there was psychokinetic. Yeah. And that's the thing about this kind of stuff. Like, here's the thing about, like, for example, the thing that we've learned about anima is that we all have it in us. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cosmic force, but it's also personal. When you die, that anima goes to the Shadowlands. And it's that anima, that soul, that is essentially what monks tap into with chi. It's, it'd basically be the power that a psionic was using because it's the power of that person's life. It's their power. Mm-hmm. At the same time that it's a cosmic force. So ultimately, you could make the case that every wizard is doing that. Every every mage and warlock and priest and everybody who casts spells is doing that. Because the power is ultimately coming from each and everything around them. Including them. Like So yeah, it is, it is an interesting thing to think about. But it's one of the reasons I don't think we'll actually just get, you know a psionic class. I don't think that we're going to get the psionicist. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the psionicist as an idea. I've actually played psionic characters plenty of times. I've I mean, them. I've- yeah, like in the Esper, as far as me, as far as classes go in MMOs, I often bring it up as my favorite uh, because it was very much that. And I know Razor and I have had discussions on Twitter where I know that they feel very similarly. Uh, but what there were could be, and, and to sort of give this like, an, I don't want to say an air of hope, uh, but I can't really think of a better way to phrase it, is because of the nature of it, while we might not get a pure psionic class, we could see an evolution of what mages do over time. As a character's understanding of things like, in this particular case, anima goes, think about it. In the context, the great context of thing, this is the first time we really know what anima is. It's the first time it's been sort of explained to us. It's the first time we know that it that it exists other than what the Mogu were using it for. And at some point, your character, think about this. You're you're running through a, a Mogu raid and you're you're seeing their their things of anima, and you're thinking, wow, that's real weird blood-like goop that makes things mutate. I don't want anything to do with that. Then come to find out what anima actually is, is sort of the building block of you know, elemental fun or fundamental nature of power in the universe, it starts putting it into a different context. And if it's something we all have within ourselves, then maybe it starts opening up the door for practitioners of anything to sort of redefine what that looks like. It often reminds me of discussing like the Nephilim in Diablo and how that power is born from the marriage of, you know, their demonic and angelic natures where together they are more powerful than their, 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 you know, creators essentially. Uh, and that power is almost that of pure creation going back to like the sin war trilogy. Aldisian just makes things happen, right? There's not really a formal training, even though he does receive some training uh, ish uh, from Lilith. It's weird. Read the books. Um, but a lot of it is just he wills it to happen and therefore it happens. Like, and this is spoilers for a book that's been out for a long time. He wills himself out of existence. Tell me a mage on Azeroth that could do that without just lighting a, a fireball at their feet. He literally wipes himself out of memory, out of like pulls himself out of the universe where nobody will know that he existed. Everything that he has done is undone. It is a fascinating concept, but he had the power to do that. Anima. First book's 2011, by the way. Thank you. 
uh, anima kind of gives the opportunity to do some wild stuff like that because we know now that anima is sort of like this, I don't want to say a catch all, but it is very expansive. It covers a lot of things. Anima is interesting because it is both the material and the means of creation. It's what creation is made out of and what made it. It's like if your hammer, when you just hammered it, made the thing you were hammering. Mm-hmm. It's tool and it's the, the, the material the tool works upon, which is why, you know, like to use the Nephilim as an example, the, the reason that Odyssean can will himself out of existence is because he possesses within him all the, uh, the latent power of the forces that, cr- that create and that change <clears throat> like the light, the light of heaven, the sound of it, the music of the spheres. Cause remember that that's a big part in Diablo is the musicality of it for plus the corrupting, transforming, changing nature of the demons. Mm-hmm. Demons are chaos. They are wild frenzied alteration. Those two things combined. Like now you've got, this this thing to work on and this thing to work on it with uh, and that's kind of how the the anima seems to work at least so far as we've seen in the shadowlands where like everything is made out of the stuff everything that wanders past you every spirit you talk to every blade of grass that brushes your leg every building it's all made out of anima <clears throat> and also it was made with anima like anima did this and anima is this so yeah it is it's interesting to think about somebody who could I've always thought about it in other terms in other settings. I've always thought of sonic powers as being kind of like building a dam, like the, the, the magician types tap into this cosmic pool of power that every living thing contributes into like every living thing, because it's alive radiates into the universe around them with this tiny bit of, of potential. And that creates this pool of power that's throughout that suffuses the universe. But the scion wells up theirs. They put a dam on it and mm-hmm. let the, the level rise inside themselves. And when they release it as an, as an act, as a power, as a force, they're not, they're, they're capable of incredibly, incredible feats, but the downside is they can't reach out of themselves for more. It all has to come from inside. So you, you get worn down faster. Like another way to use it would be to you, to look at um, dark sun, which has both psionics and magic psionics are a completely natural part of that world mm-hmm. magic is inherently corruptive and destructive if you don't know what you're doing which is why you, it's a you know desert in the first place yeah and you can use magic in a way that doesn't hurt anything around you if you want to like if, you, if you're willing to take it slow and weave your spells in such a way that the power goes back to the world when you're done using it but if you're impatient or just don't have the time well, you know, uh, who cares if this field of flowers dies? I need to hit that guy with lightning. Zap. And in a way, psionics is the opposite of that. It would never have that. It would always be coming from you. There's um, another thing that I think is a, a good one for maybe folks that, that don't understand that reference uh, because they're not around for that is if you've watched Avatar The Last Airbender, when uh, Katara was learning bloodbending and like the the whole practice in the middle of the field and drawing essentially the life force, the moisture out of everything around her and like doing like something from nothing. Well, it's not actually from nothing. And she looks around her and sees like just an area of like grass and flowers completely devoid of life because of what she's been training to do. It's, it's sort of like that similar aspect of the magic thing, but with psionics, like it, it, it 
we're we're sort of out in the weeds here, and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, one thing you need to define what you mean, and every time you see psionics, it's a slightly different concept. I mean, it goes back it to is. like you know Theosophism and the orgone theory and all sorts of stuff. And, and you want to see some crazy stuff that we are not qualified to talk about? Go look up orgone. Yeah, because that stuff is crazy. Or you know the Vrilya from the uh, the novels of, of the same name that the Nazis thought were so great. Uh, there's lots of different concepts about this idea of being able to draw upon a power source that is independent and unique to yourself. Um, and it, it's been used many different ways in many different fictions in terms of world of Warcraft. Like I said, I think it's, it's a question of just, I think it's more likely we'll see an evolution of like what a mage is versus, or, or like I said, like a, like a rune caster or yeah. something where they, where it's like, it's never specifically stated, Oh, he draws upon his own internal power, but, that's what they're doing. Uh, but, but I don't know. I think, I think we've kind of rambled on about this one as much as we need to. I think so. Uh, so we're going to move on to uh, another one here. And this one's from Nyarla or Nyarla. Uh, recently you've branched out into 40 K learn. It got me thinking, what do you prefer from your lore for where these are some examples? 40 K canon is a mist. Everything in history is open interpretation. Your interpretation is everything. Or wow, where lore is carefully and lovingly curated, canon is God until, of course, it isn't. Um, there's another question here, but I want to answer this one first. Very, very interesting question. But also, Warcraft has basically proven that everything we know, for lack of a better term, is essentially a lie. <laughs> um, if you read everything in Chronicle and then compare it to the Grimoire, um, what we understand that was explained to us in Chronicle is only from a certain point of view. And that's one of the things about Warcraft that I think is fascinating is that everything we've experienced, everything we think we know is because we know it from a certain point of view. And every time our understanding expands and grows, that viewpoint has the potential to shift and it doesn't necessarily erase what came before it, but it puts it into different context, such as, uh, the cosmology chart, right? That is sort of the big thing that, that people were, uh, I don't want to say blindsided by, but when we received Chronicle, we were under the impression that that cosmology chart was, that's it. That's what it is. That's the definitive answer. And then Grim, the grimoire comes out, the grimoire of the Shadowland, and it's different. And it explains, well, of course you're going to believe that the living thing or the, the flesh bags think that this is how the universe is ordered because they're literally getting their information from one aspect of order when in actuality, it's probably closer to this. Uh, and even that might be wrong. It, it's I honestly don't, I honestly don't think that people understand that the grimoire of the shadowlands is no more accurate mm -hmm. or the definitive cosmology as Chronicle. Like they're mm -hmm. both equally from a biased point of view. And if you look at them, they could both be true because you're looking at it from a different, literally a different perspective. This is a two dimensional representation of extra dimensional planes. It is not meant to be a, like an actual accurate representation. It can't be. It's a drawing of something that's more than three dimensional. This is like when people try to draw a tesseract and they don't, they can't, they can only do so much to draw it because a tesseract is a four dimensional object. It has an extra dimension to it. That's not time. That's an extra physical dimension. We can't really imagine this. We can imagine length, width, and depth. And we can understand that there must be another one. 
Mathematically, there could be another one, but we can't perceive it. Our brains, our eyes don't work that way. The Our brains are a limitation almost. Yeah. They, they, they grew up in a three-dimensional object. Yeah, everything around you is three-dimensional. Like other than drawings and visual art, which are two-dimensional representations that your brain has to interpret, but at least it can interpret that because it knows what they are. It doesn't know what a fourth physical dimension is. It's never perceived one. It has no concept of what it might look like. So it has to make guesswork. It has to do math. It has to make symbols. The Grimoire of the Shadowlands is literally just the exact same cosmology chart from a different, if you were standing in a different place, essentially. Mm -hmm. And there could be others. You could reorder that thing as many different ways as you wanted, and they could all make sense if you were standing in the right spot of creation. And that's the thing that I think people aren't getting. They looked at the grimoire and they're like, oh, but this completely contradicts. No, it doesn't at all contradict anything from Chronicle. That picture of the cosmology chart is just you looking at it flipped. That's all. It's just, it's like if you took a, a, a globe of the earth and suddenly Florida was the, the was up at the top and like South America was above it. Like what, how, what is happening? Why is this like this? We're looking at it from a different angle. That's all. They just flip South and North. Mm -hmm. It's the same globe, but now it looks completely different because now we're looking at the South pole where the North pole usually is. That's what the grimoire of the shadowlands is. Like. That's what all of this stuff is like as new information comes in. It's not necessarily that it has changed what we knew. It's that it has added to what we knew. And if you add to what you know, you you come upon the possibility of understanding it from a completely different and perspective, a paradigm shift, which is something that happens to humans so often that it's kind of scary. Yeah. But <clears throat> to bring it back to the root though, which is the question of where do we prefer our lore? I, I think one of the, the, the big misconceptions here is that there is a difference in how these, these universes curate their lore. There really isn't. I, mean, I, I would actually argue there is, but it's a different, it's a difference in, Warhammer is built around a lot of stuff that they very deliberately do not explain. Yes, but that they that they consciously do not is, explain. It's but this not that is different. Gotten to it yet? Yeah, this, it's this different. is. Oh, hold on, let me let me let me finish this lot. This is an evolution because at the beginning, during the times of Rogue Trader and Second Edition 40k, it was carefully curated canon where things were erased and. Uh, pushed and moved into a very specific thing where th certain things were absolutes. It's n it was not like it is now where perspectives have shifted because of everything that's added in. Warcraft also started very much that same way. It had a set of absolutes until it didn't, until it started growing and adding that perspective and that shift in, where the more information you got and the further it matured, the more the understanding of what kept getting added gave context to what came before. I often bring up that in the original Warcraft series, there was light and void. There was no Pantheon. There was no Titans. Uh, and the light was more akin to what actual, like basically God versus devils, right? It was, that was essentially the basis of it. And that was an absolute until it wasn't until it evolved, until it shifted, until it matured. And both of these are at a point now where, I think I prefer them where there's just enough wiggle room for things to continue to grow. Because to me, that's where lore is the most interesting. It's when you find more information and it has the potential to give more context to what came before and shift your perspective. 
that's what's been happening in the 40k universe recently uh especially over the the last several years where we've had the horus heresy novels as well as a lot of the stuff that's being released in the 30k uh series of games that's advancing the story and how the story in 40k is advancing as well it's not so much leaving it up to interpretation as it is adding more information to change the perspective of the past and warcraft is doing that like we just talked about with anima right that it to me, they're very similar in that regard. And I'll shut up and let Matt talk since I cut him off early. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, do you have anything else you want to add to that before we go to the second part of the question from uh, Nayarla? I'm going to use an example that if you're familiar with comic books will be immediately, instantly understandable. And if you are not, you will have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about and think it's the ravings of a madman. <laughs> I prefer the DC Comics approach to the Marvel Comics and that's saying something because there are some significant drawbacks to the DC Comics approach, mainly that you get you give writers a constantly shifting cosmology and they will not be able to stop shifting it. They will continuously do this to the point where people get very confused. I am never one of those people who gets confused by these things because I'm always aware that this is all just made up anyway. So if someone decides it's different now, well, okay, we made up a new thing. But for a lot of people, that's confusing. Marvel goes out of their way to not do that even if it means they do a th- an event called called Secret Wars, which isn't the original Secret Wars, that reboots the universe, but they reboot it exactly the way it was before, or as close to that as they could get. Mm-hmm. You know, like they don't want to change anything radically. They just want it to keep flowing out from a central source. Even if that means they then have to go start entire new comic lines, like like the new universe or... Um, the ultimates or what have you, the ultimate universe, because they, they end up piling upon this edifice that is so huge and convoluted that, that, you know, Bible scholars and, and church patriarchs can't figure out the canon and with the kind of unerring bulldog tenacity that a, that a comic book fan does when you make a mistake about the rocket racer. And if you don't know who the rocket racer is, be grateful. Uh, but, DC with DC's approach, it's magic. You don't have to understand. You don't have to explain it after a while. Like you can still just, you know, you know, the basics and everything else is theirs for you to use or not. Like one of my favorite lore bits from DC is at from post crisis on infinite earths, where it turns out that, that there's a alien city in South America that Superman finds that a big robot containing the souls of 500 aliens who actually aren't alien at all but were in fact the first sapient race on earth who kept our ancestors as slaves were once living in. And then there was a disease on earth that almost killed them. And like 200,000 of them left in spaceships and 500 of them remained. And it basically explains everything about DC comics, having a ton of humanoid aliens. They were probably all descended from these aliens that look just like us, but were our, our superiors in some vague way. That's not explained. Um, but no writer has ever felt the need to, to use it in Marvel. They would absolutely have to use it. They would be constrained to use it because it's there. It's been published. Like Al, I, I like Al Ewing a lot as a writer, but Al Ewing is the personification of that approach. Like he can't let anything go. He feels the need to immediately grab that thread and pull it over to this thread. You know, he's going to make it so that you understand that this one Hulk comic from 1978 is vitally important to the state of the universe. 
And he did it. I'm I'm impressed. I'm very proud of him. But for every Al Ewing out there trying to do this and pulling it off in grand style, there's like 300 people who are just going to write an incomprehensible story about Morbius and try to tie Morbius into like bacteria from the dawn of time that made him the way he is. And you're like, did we need this story, guys? Couldn't we have just let the bacteria go? Or Morbius, for that matter? Couldn't we let Morbius go? So, yeah, I prefer the approach where, you know, just to repeat to yourself, it's just a show. I should really just relax. That that's, that's how I am on continuity. I get it. I like it. I like lore. I like the canon. But I also like the ability to just say, you know, I, I, did, I did come up with this whole thing that I wrote down about the Eridar and how they corrupted Sargeras and everything. But I like this new version I came up with better. So I'm going to run with that. Mm-hmm. I like that approach. Which ties into our second question from Narella and probably going to be our last bit here since we're running up on time. What does the future look like for the Eridar following the collapse of the Legion? On his defeat, Kill Jaden expressed regret over his decisions. Could others come crawling back to the Draenei? Personally, I hope so, if only because I think Draenei look awesome in Warlock tier gear. That's the thing. Infinite possibility, right? I mean, for that matter, we don't need the, the Eridar to come back to the Draenei for the Draenei to get Warlocks. We could just have the Draenei start getting Warlocks. Mm-hmm. And imagine if the Draenei Warlocks use the light, because we now know that the, the magic that Warlocks are using is actually originally from the Titans, and it was used to bind demons. Mm-hmm. So you could have these, like, you know, they're still Warlocks, they're still doing Warlocky things, but they're not doing it by summoning demons and getting the lore from them. They're literally doing it by communing with the light, learning the power, and using it to bind Shackling these demons them. And, yeah. and enslave them. You could, and it's still a warlock. Still has to have demons around to do what he's doing, but now he's not asking them, he's telling them. Almost like Dark Shaman. Exactly. Like light warlocks. Yeah. It's the opposite of the thing. Yeah. So, which yeah, I, basically, yeah, yeah. Which I think would be, I personally think that would be more fascinating, right? Especially when we talked about this before with the... Um, the Magar orcs and what happened there with the light, whether you like that scenario or not, it was an interesting look into an aspect of the light that I don't think a lot of people had considered where the light does, you know, have a lot of different facets to it, despite the fact that we often believe that it, that only has like one linear path. Each aspect of it follows a linear path, but there are multiple linear paths. And so like having the idea of light warlocks, having, uh, Draenei or Light Forge that are like, nah, I learned this shackling technique. The light allows me to put bindings literally on this demon. Let's go ahead and do it. And then have, you know, a succubus show up that has like, you know, genie esque cuffs on it from like Aladdin, but they're made out of light or something like that. I could see that. And it would be an interesting evolution of what a warlock means because. That's another thing. Like, what is a warlock? What does that actually mean? And it's- we've got years of lore that that hint at it. The the, the, the warlock green fire quest revealed so much about them that we haven't done anything with his ends. And even then, like, it left so much room for it to be flushed out as well. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. it would it would be a fascinating thing to do both, right? It would be this uh, study in what a warlock is, but also expanding in game lore how certain races can or would even allow themselves to become warlocks because that's another thing too like we talked about shamanism and druidism and and everything else uh, multiple times and, and priesthood and paladins and death knights and 
why certain races have eschewed not the death knight part but like why they're not paladins but they could be paladins night elves for example they could be paladins in fact they should be paladins um you have torn who became paladins through a different mean than what you nor traditionally associated with it it means yeah. something different to the torrent but it's still a paladin you could do that with warlocks and i think that would be absolutely fascinating sorry anything else to add on that one i don't think so I don't know what you're sorry about, but <laughs> I I'm just getting this this whole thing where like we have a warlock central centric ex, like expansion moment of like all these races be like, huh, man, maybe goblins got this transaction thing right, or maybe dark shaman had something a little bit to them. Uh, we're not going to mess with elementals, but demons, yeah, no, no, I don't like them. I'm going to make them do what I want, and I'm like going off in my own little my the spinning and okay. my fantasy head here. We're going. <laughs> But I think that's going to do it for today, folks. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. Uh, if you have questions for this podcast or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, specify what show it's for. Uh, if you don't want to send them in via email, you can go ahead and us up on the Discord server. We have a Discord server for our Patreon supporters as a way of saying thank you for helping us keep the lights on. And that's Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel. Uh, and if you can't support us there, we understand. Uh, we do have another one set aside, which is Q and Podcast Questions. Uh, you can go ahead and throw those in there as well. We do look in both of those channels. We just kind of give Patreon supporters first billing as uh, that extra thank you. Uh, but yeah, if you have any questions, send them in, specify what show there's for, uh, and we might, you know, steal them for shows that you don't intend them for, depending on what we're doing thematically. You never know. Yes, you guys are going to be really surprised by Turnip Watch this month. Turnip Watch. Yeah. Yeah. They need to be watched. <laughs> uh, planning things. Well, with that, folks, we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.